Okay. I've been wanting to do this for some time. Um, I never really appreciated how well acquainted I was with Scorsese's films until a discussion with my friend Will M. Maybe about a week ago. I realized that I actually kind of know the lay of the land when it comes to Scorsese's corpus. And I'm a big fan, tremendous fan, really. Um, almost like a, I could, I could go on a Scorsese pilgrimage if I had to, um, but I won't. Uh, he, I think he has some of the best timing of a director. Also, the subjects he he is that he he films about are always really interesting. Plot, the plots are always pretty good. Um, he's probably the most consistent director at his level, um, in my opinion. Uh, is he the best director of all time? Ah, he's close. Top three, top four for me. Um, there's, a, you know, I don't watch a ton of like 30s films and cowboy westerns and noirs and stuff. I'm sure if there are people like Howard Hawks or John Ford or, uh, you know, um, Otto Preminger who are like, like, or they're just as easy to fan out on. But, as a you know, someone who grew up in the 21st century and was born in the 90s, this guy is kind of an interesting case because he's just so prolific and he's been working for so many years. He's really an interesting case. So without any further ado, I'll give you my sort of two cents on pretty much all these films. I some of them I haven't seen because they just didn't seem very interesting. But I looked and I did some research. And they're all of them are pretty interesting from like a superficial oh I, I I would I would try to watch it perspective or sorry would I try to watch it perspective all pretty compelling um, but I, I like I said I can't I can't detail the plots for some of them the stories might be weaker and I just you know picked a sent I I was kind of a good judge and I just sort of decided not to but I do think overall Scorsese really tries to portray people at their most embarrassing he's good at he's good at portraying embarrassment in a very um sort of a sympathetic way uh, and it's and usually humorous way because i think the trick to sympathy is often humor anyway uh after hours watch this this one is good hold on a sec i'm gonna tell someone Hey, I'm in the the middle of a, of a podcast. I'll talk to you in a bit. Okay. Yeah. So after hours is um a movie not a lot of people have seen. It's a kind of a budget film about going out and partying in New York City, in Manhattan, in like the in like the early '80s, I think. And it's uh it's a sort of a comedy of errors. The whole thing is this guy trying to trying to find a girlfriend, trying to get high with her on some pot. And everything goes awry from there, just on onset. It's like an outset, just, you know, flawed from the get-go. I don't, I, the guy was kind of an, a screwball, right? So it's a kind of a screwball comedy, but it's also very sort of a dark social commentary at times. Um, it's a dark comedy. It really is epic, though. It goes all over the map. 
uh, and um, or it feels like it does. It's a very uh, sort of youthful, um, you know, uh, straight to the point comedy. Um, it's, I mean, it's a bit rambunctious, but not overly so. Um, it's sort of absurdist, actually. Uh, very, very much in that sort of absurdist-leaning comedy branch. Uh, is it great? I don't think it's great. I think it has some sort of monotony to it, probably because it's a dated film in many respects. But overall, it's a good film. Like overall, it's still more than watchable. Overall, you're you're not going to be like, oh, this is a fuck too old of a movie. You're going to be like laughing along with it and being like, wow, this is clever. I didn't expect this. So I'd say good. Maybe if I gave it a letter grade, I'd probably give it like a B. You know, not, you know, you know, not nothing to sneer at, but not really. Um, I mean, I think for a comedy, it's really good. But I think as a film, maybe not the best, you know, motion picture. But just as a comedy, it really holds its weight. So. If comedy by itself is sort of a B genre, I think this that's why this film falls short. Not because Scorsese did anything wrong necessarily. I think it's a solid comedy. But I think in comparison to all of his other films, it has to be sort of in the B area. Maybe an A minus, um, depending on how we're looking at it. Um again, you know, if you don't know after hours, I don't blame you. It's hard it's a hard film to sort of know anything about. It's not a, a publicized film anymore and it's really the concept is very vague it's about just a guy going out and trying to kind of party in manhattan he's like in his 20s um he's kind of a, he's kind of a stoop he's kind of a stooge well he's not a stooge but he's stupid and he he runs into stooges and he sort of has to outsmart them outplay them so all in all it's like it's a it's like a b rated film um but for for a scorsese comedy that ends up sort of being artificially raised to an A minus just because it's so unusual. Uh, I thought it was really funny, actually. Um, I'll give it a, I'll give it great because I'm a Scorsese fanboy, I guess. Um, there's the upgrade. Cape Fear. No, we're not. Uh, what's this one? So I don't watch Nicolas Cage movies, kind of as a rule. Ringing out, bringing out the dead. I don't. I actually haven't even heard of this. I've heard of the name because I think it's just a phrase, but I didn't even really know it was like a movie until maybe now. Um, that I think I've read that name in some article. That's about as familiar as I am with it. I, judging from the cover, I would say it is watchable because Nicolas Cage films, as as lame as they are, they are, tend to be at least watchable. Uh, but in a sort of like a depressing kind of like self-indulgent way where you just sort of feel like icky um, for even going along with it. Anyway, another film that is kind of actually like a Nicolas Cage film, but is far superior for reasons that I could try to break down, is Cape Fear. I think Cape Fear is actually a masterpiece. And it, yeah, while it is a remake of a, like a 50s, 40s noir sort of film. Um, it's, 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 it's an excellent, um, return to form for that sort of storyline. And it's the genre, it doesn't really fall into any one genre. It's, it's sort of just, um, this plangent drama at first where you're, 
you're sort of picking up the pieces slowly as, as the characters are kind of slowly figuring everything out for themselves. And then eventually it, it reaches, it, the water heats up, it heats up and the frogs just stay in the pot and then they end up boiling themselves alive and re you reach fever pitch and everything is chaos. And you're like, what the hell went wrong? And of course, in this film, if you're paying attention, you understand what what went wrong. But if um if you're not paying attention, it might seem sort of like a has has sort of an unusual unusual pacing. Uh, from 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 Dead Reckoning, I think this film just by having Robert De Niro in it and uh, is is going to be going to be you know a good sign. But at the same time, it also has Nick Nolte, and so that's kind of a like a turnoff. Like why Nick Nolte? You know, I'm not like, I'm not you know, you know, cinematically aroused by Nick Nolte. But anyway, he actually had a really good performance in this. It's the best performance I think I can remember seeing him in. Um, and then again, I haven't seen every, all of his movies. Uh, I haven't set out to do so. But Nick Nolte in this film is a very straight-laced lawyer. And he's sort of the hero, but he's also kind of a douchebag, whereas, or certainly is, whereas Robert De Niro's character is sort of this earthy, um, you know, uh, wisecracking kind of, uh, sort of legendary kind of figure. And yet at the same time, he's totally a villain. He's totally pernicious. So I think... Um, the way De Niro's character sort of harasses and stalks and torments, um, in different ways, the fam uh, Nick Nolte's family throughout the film, in different settings, with different te te communication methods, with different levels of involvement, with different, um, uh, levels of, 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 um, what, what do you call it, um, uh, transparency. I think, uh, this sort of stalking setup that Max Cady does against uh, the the Bowden family is really kind of staggering to 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 witness in a film even if it's sort of a trope in a way like it's just like oh stalking a family well who does that oh you I mean everyone does that like that's you see that in all, like half of all the half of every movie is about stalking isn't it in some sense but no, and I think in you know if if half of all the movies in Hollywood have a stalking one level or another, then what does it say when you find that movie with the best display of stalking in cinema? That makes that kind of raises the stakes, and it, that makes this film quite you know more effective in by comparison. So it's probably the best stalking film. But like I said, a lot of films are low key about stalking anyway. So, um, about obsession. And if this film is one of the best films about obsession, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, you know, what I'm going to say, I think it just sort of, you know, it kind of, you know, builds the heart rate. And this is a, this is a, you know, you, you kind of, this is a film you kind of sweat your way through a little because you're, you're on the verge of uh, sort of going crazy when you watch it. But that is why it's so good. It's it's you know you know what it's like. It's like a it's like a better version of Silence in the Lambs. I always found that Silence in the Lambs was relying too much on gimmicks and like weird sort of pop cultural tropes that were typically disconnected. Um, but in that movie, they somehow all combine in like one sort of phantom phantasmagoria of 
horror, but like and and suspense. But in Cave Fear, it, it felt a little more true to life. Like this is something that would actually happen to a family that they would fall prey to this kind of thing that has happened and it continues to happen and then we just don't hear about it so the 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 dose of realism in um cape fear kind of made me feel a little more adult when i watched it and enjoyed it whereas in silence of the lambs it's it's it's, it's probably you know neck and neck but just not quite as good as a film because silence of the lamb is just so off the chain with with its unrealistic portrayals and set pieces and I, I i felt like uh silence of the lamb had some brilliant sequences but they're totally fantasy they, they're not something that really resembles um west virginia or dc or the fbi or the you know the uh, the incarceration system what do they call it the, that's what they call it the uh criminal justice system right um which is not even the right term it's supposed to be about you know um psych wards and things but i just don't it's that that movie was so all over the place and you had to have and it was drawing on so many domains of knowledge they had insects in that film just for the sake of showcasing guys you know being nerding out as as entomologists on insects on dissecting insects in the lab under underground somewhere i suppose they did that just to show you that as if it had it had some and it had very minimal pertinence to the the case of of finding buffalo bill it was just like a little like macguffin that was thrown in which was this uh this moth or butterfly that was found in a woman's throat who died who was drowned in who was you know found her body was found in a river or i guess the river bed or whatever i don't know if she was drowned there i don't even remember the film very well because it was just like they they have so many um you know uh uh, gimmicks that you just sort of don't even it's hard to even remember what the movie is actually about and so cape fear doesn't have that problem cape fear is it's very obvious what the movie is about and that's what makes it all the more compelling which i can understand how you might be un, it might sound un, counterintuitive like oh i don't want to know what the film is about but for whatever reason with cape fear you get the sense that oh no it did it did help this movie and so that's why I think it's a masterpiece, because there's not really another film like it that I've ever really seen. Um, I mean, Taxi Driver is kind of close in, in, in certain ways. Has, is, is Robert De Niro being sort of a deranged guy that's morally on the fence? And then he really gets even, by the end of the film, he becomes even more deranged. Um, that's also, that, that is similar. But if you like Taxi Driver, you're going to find that this movie isn't really the same movie as Taxi Driver. But it does have a similar sort of a crescendo of, of, of drama and violence. Uh, action, I guess. I guess all violence is technically action, right? Um, so Masterpiece. Up next, Casino. So I think Casino is, um, I think it's a good movie. Not, I think whatever, for whatever reason, After Hours is kind of better. Um, After Hours is... It's just a it's just it's so much has so much entertainment value packed into it by comparison, whereas Casino is is one of the worst films in terms of pacing, for um, uh, Scorsese, and in, in terms of the the plot points having significance to like sort of the general audience, I think Casino was sort of harder to relate to. I think you know it's one thing doing a mobster film. But another thing, doing a mobster film that's sort of relocated to some random desert town um, where business is 
you know, everything. Uh, and business is time is money and all this. And so casino for me is good. It's watchable. It's more than watchable. It's good, but it's, you know, you get all the Goodfellas stuff in it, but you just get it kind of diluted. It's like, you know, you have the same actors and Joe Pesci is notable in it for sure. And so is De Niro. Um, but De Niro is like really toned down. Like he's not as interesting, I, th I would think, as Jimmy Conway, at least not not as um, dynamic as Jimmy Conway um, in Goodfellas. And so De Niro's character in Casino is sort of like an observer. You know, he's kind of a fly on the wall. And you get and he's you know his girl cheats on him a lot or a fair amount and just sort of disgusting and you're just kind of like oh, okay it's kind of gross and then the uh, character the Joe Pesci character whose name I don't remember I think it's Danny because in Good Goodfellas it was Tommy so in Casino it's Danny I mean he's he's sort of like he's sort of interesting he's he's kind of he's he he. They're really like as much as they relied on his wild antics and brash persona in Goodfellas, they're like they're like they're like leaning on it on it, on on him as like a last leg in, in, in casino. They're really leaning on it. And uh you kind of got tired of that as it was so kind of obvious. And I admit casino is like the spiritual successor to Goodfellas, and then you also have the Irishman later on, and the, the Departed, whatever. Maybe maybe Gangs of New York is kind of like that too. But Casino really is, you know, the immediate successor to Goodfellas, and so it is kind of disheartening that it just wasn't as compelling, not as a sequel, but just as a, a film by Scorsese. It just didn't really sort of it felt subpar, um, if only slightly. So I think it's good, but I just can't sing the praises like I have been for Cape Fear and After Hours. Okay, up next, Gangs of New York. I think Gangs of New York is kind of like Casino. Um, it's a really good film. It's um, probably overrated. Um, it's very watchable. Um, I just don't. I like this. I like the uh, the costumes in in Gangs of New York a lot. But the music was a little weird. The the the, the editing was could, could be kind of funny, um, if if that even if that was deliberately done, I still it still felt kind of nauseated by it. Uh, the the character like Bill the Butcher was rather um, Bill the Butcher was rather um, you know what do you call it. Uh, I'm not crazy about Daniel Day-Lewis. I think Daniel Day-Lewis is a fine actor. He's in some movies, but I still think he has his ups and downs. And you'll notice that there's big differences in his performances depending on... Big differences in his performances depending on, you know, this or that. Um, change in his, you know, character design. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he really hits the mark even though he does kind of have the same, you know, intensity. I just don't think it always works. And Bill the Butcher to me was was a good character maybe when it came out, but when the film was came out, I felt like it was it represented When the film came out, I think it represented something that 
didn't necessarily hit the hammer on the head for me or sorry didn't hit the nail on the head for me like i just felt like i don't really have the words for it but i think bill the butcher was kind of like a like obviously a, a scumbag villain but i do but i just he didn't have the personality the, the you know what it was i haven't because i haven't thought about this clearly but what it really was is that they were relying on him having this like larger than life personality that was very charming and that's kind of why he was able to get away with all the evil things he got away with. But when you're watching the film, you you just didn't – I didn't feel like he was that charming. I didn't feel like he was that charming. I feel like he was kind of um, gross. And I didn't understand why people were, like, so into his his mission of, like, murdering the Irish and whatnot, um, even back then. And I think maybe it's because for for, for the period – while people did hate the Irish, they um, he was just he was just so gross that you're like, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just like you know, it was like a good version of being gross in their in their under the, in, through their lens. And then, and then DiCaprio's character was kind of he didn't have that many that many good lines. He was kind of a pretty boy character. It was sort of um, a little unwelcome um in the scenes for me um i feel like this this film had a lot of good characters and they were sort of sidelined by like the dynamic between the father-son dynamic between bill the butcher and dicaprio's character and that it just was a film that kind of like relied a lot on this one dynamic and that one dynamic was cool but it wasn't i, I didn't love it i don't know i i felt like it was a little a little gimmicky a little over the top a little too a little too carnivalesque for like something that was supposed to be serious. I feel like they're they're leaning too much into the sort of the circus act aesthetic of the the turn of the century. Um, in a nutshell, yeah, I think they were leaning too much into the whole circusy cowboy sort of you know old world um, uh, tone, and that took me out of the actual like importance of the story it made the story seem sort of like comedical and in, in an un, not, unnecessary way if you know certainly natural to the setting it just felt sort of unnecessary um in the depiction of that setting so it's a little heady but i think the execution was just sort of overly aestheticized um and perhaps if you remade the film, it could have been fine. I think it was a kind of a salvageable film. It could have been great, but it was just a little too into itself. And so I, I think it was only good um, for a Scorsese film. Like Casino, they're both, they were both just a little too into themselves. Um, and so they didn't deliver as much, um, like they should have. Anyway, up next is Goodfellas. I do think Goodfellas is... A masterpiece i don't love the movie um i you know when I, I find myself getting kind of bored when i rewatch it sometimes but i will say is the attention to detail in the screenplay and in, and in the setting and in the um the, the, the set pieces and in the mise-en-scene at times just just in in, in moment and in in, in in fleeting moments is all really well done and so in the excellently crafted film the amount of research that went into making this film is like stupendous you know and i it, it is it is 
some people would say it's Scorsese's greatest film. And I, I can't blame them. I don't know if I agree, but I, I definitely, I'm not going to like, you know, ardently disagree. I think it is one of his best films. Um, I, I, you know, probably his top three for sure. Maybe his third best film, if you asked me what I really thought. Probably his third or fourth best film. But that's still very high up. And I think Goodfellas is, um, well, while it is, you know, you know, I, I broke this film down with Will D. He didn't really like that it was just so into itself. Um, and I didn't think it was that into itself. Um, but, like, I, I felt that way with Kings of New York and Casino. But with getting Goodfellas, I felt like it was kind of, it was a little, maybe, like, a little microscoped in on the, the gang life. Like, more than The Godfather was, for instance. But I think it was also a little more, it was trying to be ironic. And for whatever reason, I understood the irony. Whereas in Gangs of New York, it didn't seem like there was that much irony. It just felt sort of crass in a in a in a like unapologetic way. Whereas in Goodfellas, you at least could understand that they were being crass because they had sort of like a rationale, a sort of a fraternity of of, of goombas that had to kind of operate with a certain heavy with a certain heavy handedness at all times. But in Gangs of New York, I didn't understand why anyone cared to be who they were. It all kind of felt like they were in a in a theater troupe. It didn't really feel like that they had skin in their their particular game. Um, but maybe that's just the Californian in me not understanding the New York experience. I feel like even, I live in New York now, and I feel like I st still don't really understand the New York um, philosophy. Like, you know, uh, at some, because because in my head I can always just go back to California. I think a lot of people don't have that option or don't think they do. So maybe New York is more of like a purpose-built place. But for me, it doesn't seem that purposeful. Um, but I mean, it's purposeful, but it's just not in the way that the characters in Gangs of New York make it seem. Just like in Vegas, it's like I don't know why people are so obsessed with Vegas who live there and work there. Especially with when they work a lot and you know work really hard, um, the casino has that problem. But Goodfellas, I felt like at least they had the sort of fraternity, which was like kind of transcended the immediate environment in some sense. Um, but at the same time, you know, Goodfellas they are a symptom of their place, and if they or they're stuck in the Brooklyn or the Bronx or Queens or whatever, I think it's Brooklyn, or no, it might have been Queens. I don't remember, but if they're stuck in like an outer borough, and they just sort of like have this strange organized crime family to to like live with and then that family ends up sort of betraying them every once and again that's kind of i think that relates more to like the every man even though it's not about the every man i think it relates to sort of the inner psychology of people um this crime syndicate is not what most people relate to but i think they associate their lives with some sort of crime syndicate more more easily than they do with whatever happened in Gangs of New York or Casino. So for me, it's a masterpiece. All these movies are very funny, but I think the one thing for sure is that, as a final note, is Goodfellas has a way better system for dialogue and for exposition than Casino or Gangs of New York do. I think that both of those films did not have a good system for exposition, and it, was, it felt very um, wedged in.
um, at times. So Goodfellas is a masterpiece. So is Cape Fear. Up next is Hugo. I never saw Hugo because I don't really watch children's movies often. Um, I will say it's probably watchable because I know it's based on a book, and that book was pretty well received. I think I even received it as a gift when I was a child. Um, and I, I can I can respect Scorsese for wanting to make a children's movie, and I think if you're gonna make a children's movie, this is a pretty good choice. So I will say it's watchable out of respect. I don't really have first-hand knowledge on the film. Um, a note on Goodfellas is that while it is a very funny film, the violence is what is important about it, um, or is also very important. Uh, Gangs of New York and Casino, that's also true in those films. But for whatever reason, there's way more sensitivity to that sort of relation, that mutual dependence in Goodfellas and in a Casino and Gangs of New York. And so that's why it is a superior film. Casino and, Good, and Gangs of New York, they, they understand that comedy is important. They understand that violence is action, drama is, you know, tragedy, I guess, is important. But the tragic comic sort of relationship is just, is sort of grayed out by comparison with Goodfellas. Um, and so I, I think that's all I can say for it. I've talked more about these movies and other podcasts on this channel. Um, the one with Will D is um, a lot more involved. But I do think Goodfellas is an excellent mob film. I don't agree with the critics who say it's overrated. I don't. I think it's appropriately rated. I just feel like, you know, it's, it, you can watch it one too many times. It's not the most rewatchable film. It's a little lurid. But that's kind of the intention. It's supposed to be sort of nauseating in, in its viciousness. But it's not nauseating because it's a stupid film or it's making some great mistake. It's nauseating because that's a true depiction of of the um, the crass sort of vulgar sociology of these people. And again, Casino and Gangs of New York don't really um, acknowledge their setting and their sociology as well as Goodfellas does. And it's sad because those are two films that really kind of were banking on doing that, weren't they? And they just they're down a couple tiers. Um, they're not they're they're still watchable. I'd still watch scenes from them on TV in a heartbeat. But it's just they're just not um, movies that I would write home about in the same way with the same passion. Um, and then again, I could still write home about them. I just I feel a little bored with myself doing it. Like even talking about them, it's like why is it? Why am I? I guess why am I belaboring it? And I think it's because. I'm beleaguered by the fact that I had so much expectation on these films and then they didn't deliver. And now I feel some sort of obligation to understand them when really there isn't that much worth, you know, penetrating into, but I just, I don't want to give up on them. So I'm, I'm still sort of exploring them. I guess I have to rewatch them to appreciate them at a, at a finer depth. Ultimately I'll probably sing their praises a little more because I'll, I'll understand the, the nuances. And I guess I just, I just missed them on the first couple runs. So, uh, re definitely got to rewatch Goodfellas and Gangs of New York. Should I put them in great? Um, maybe Gangs of New York isn't a great because Gangs of New York is an unusual circumstance for period films. A lot of period films don't tackle, you know, the five points in Manhattan and the turn of the century. 
you don't get the fashion you don't get the language you know it was it's a it's a it's a it's a higher it's a higher um it's a more theatrical production but it's also a more human production whereas good casino you're relying a lot on the fucking technology in the background right you know the car the slot machines the the roulette tables, the poker rooms, you know, you're relying all on that. And you're also relying on the seedy hotels and the alleyways and, you know, random parts of, you know, uh, the strip. And it's just, Casino is a good movie, um, but I wouldn't, like, it, it, it doesn't really knock your socks off. Gangs of New York, it almost does. It doesn't, so I guess it's a hair better than Casino. So it, it's a great film, but it's not a masterpiece. Um. Main Streets. Main Streets is good. Uh, Main Streets, for everything the casino has in its budget, Main Streets makes up for with its panache, with its punch. I think this is a very charismatic film. It's an early Scorsese film. I believe the year is actually 74, which is really a long time ago. It's almost 50 years, too, because it's 2023 now. This is 1974. Um, and you can tell it's an old film because they're 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 using all these budget sort of on location sites in um in uh like Brooklyn and Manhattan that are just sort of probably don't exist anymore. They definitely don't look the same. And um definitely the building materials are probably not the same at least. And you know, been refurbished. And back then, you know, you could just drive around aimlessly in like Brooklyn and no one would like make you know, make a big deal. Now there's all there's tons and tons of foot traffic and police and things. So Mean Streets is a, is a sort of this charming portrayal of like really like the, the last kind of you know group you'd want to associate with, um, but it is sort of the the prequel spiritually speaking to Goodfellas, and you do you do feel it, and it does have a little more um, punch than Goodfellas does. Um, it's a very it's a very thuggish movie. It's more it's not even really about organized crime. It's literally just about um thugs it's not really even about it's i wouldn't even call it a gang it's just a crew of of idiots you know clowns and uh you have to consider that i think the second godfather had not been released i'll look it up i know the first godfather had so this film was sort of competing in in scorsese's vision with uh what other, what other, what, what, uh, all the other mafia films that were available, Cosa Nostra films that were available, and that would would have been minimal back then. So I think it was for its its style, at least, was ahead of the game. Like a lot of the older fifties, sixties mafia films were like really kind of like, um, you know, they weren't as vicious, they weren't as kinetic, uh, but Mean Streets kind of breaks them, starts to break the mold by really showing violence is something that has to be you know in the central frame in full focus nineteen seventy two seventy four so Godfather two may was released the same year at some point okay so this is this film was competing with those films which were not really that energetic um they're 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 more strategically genius whereas mean streams is sort of tactically genius. All the little things are what make make Mean Street. All the little things that can happen in like a, in like a in a split second, or in or in a, within a, of a moment, are what make Mean Streets good. Uh, or, but uh, Godfather, you know, it's it's not really the moment by moment stuff. It's more of like 
you know, the scene by scene kind of stuff that makes Godfather really good. Um, Godfather obviously is a masterpiece. Godfather 2 is probably at the level of uh, Gangs of New York. Mean Streets is, um, it's a little worse. It's probably the level of Casino. But for the budget it had, it really punches above its weight. And that's why it's just such a maverick of a film. Okay, up next, um, Boxcar Bertha. Okay, I, I've, I was looking into this in preparation for this podcast. I have seen this on um, Scorsese, you know, filmography articles, lists, you know, I've, publications of all sorts. I've seen it mentioned. I always kind of thought it was, um, before before doing research, I always kind of thought it was like a like an 80s film that was like popular and it just sort of came and went. But from what the research I did, it is actually it went, it was actually just an early seventies Scorsese film that he was really ambitious on, and it was promoted by Roger Corman or produced by Roger Corman, which I guess is the same in this in the, in meaning because he produced it and he wanted um um he wanted but he also promoted it he wanted he promoted Scorsese he wanted Scorsese's you know to be a re- reputed director um because he saw so much talent. In, in 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 the young man and so he he helped him with boxcar birth i believe and this film is a really like got a really good pacing it's a very mature film for how early it was um it's it's uh really it kind of an odd uh um sort of plot but the setting and the story are relatable still um I think it kind of fails a little bit because the plot is sort of odd, but beyond that, everything else is like pitch perfect. It's a very good film. I I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen clips, and the clips are seem like this movie is about as good as anything Scorsese has done, despite it being one of his earliest films. So it's just it's just a testament to how consistent Scorsese is above above and beyond almost anyone. Um. Yeah, it's definitely watchable. I would go. I would risk saying it's a good film. I would risk saying it's a good film. Um, I might even like it more than. Uh, I might even think it's great when I actually do get around to watching. From what I can tell from the clips, it does seem pretty cool. Uh, up next is Alice doesn't live here anymore. This movie I thought was like a romantic comedy, so I uh, didn't. I never watched it, and then I did research for this podcast, and. It's actually not a romantic comedy. It's an anti-romantic comedy. It's about a woman who's running away from her family. She's kind of like a kind of a stone cold bitch, but she's also sort of sympathetic. And people hate her, and they're always trying to ruin her life. And so you kind of have to. It's like it's like a Thelma and Louise setup somewhat, but it's a little more. It's a little more, a little less, a little more jarring and funny around the edges than uh, Thelma and Louise. You know, because that's a very intense film this is an intense film but it's it's an intense with with a tone of irony um from the clips i saw it's actually pretty funny so i would say it's a good film um maybe sort of you know verging into the watchable just because it's probably a kind of one note it's about this woman running around doesn't really seem like it has a lot of importance as a subject but um the fact that it can be so funny Maybe even funnier than like a Woody Allen version of the same type of thing. Uh, the fact that it's it's like that to me says a lot. So I would say it's good. Um, and then okay, next one up. 
Uh, but I, I haven't seen it in full. I can't tell you the ins and outs of the film. I, I just have a, a, a spidey sense that it's a pretty good film. The clips, the clips were promising. Uh, the color of money. It, it, okay, I haven't seen this one. I, I know this. The thing says like Paul Newman in it, so I'm gonna say it's watchable. Um, I, I, I've not been a huge Paul Newman fan. Every once in a while, I'll see a Paul Newman film and be like, "Wow, this is a good movie." Like the verdict, the Stanley Sidney Lumet's the verdict was I really like that one. But um, Alice, uh, unlike Alice, doesn't live here anymore. This film is sort of haggard and grayed out and slow, and I think it's I think it's watchable. Um, yeah, I think it's watchable. Um. Up next is uh, New York Stories. Well, this one has Woody Allen and someone else. Coppola? I don't know. It's, it's like a triptych. It, it's a triptych. It has three different directors. It's not like Rashomon or something, but with three different like versions of the same story. There are three different kind of vignettes of different stories, but different directors, different contributions. Um, it's watch. It's it's um it's a little it's a little tedious. For, for me to watch something that's got three different directors doing different stories. Um, the Woody Allen section may or may not have been that good um, from what I remember. But as, um, I would say it's watchable. It's a little weird. Uh, but it does tie together three different directors in a, in a charming way. It's just it's just sort of like random that you have to you know slog through it. Um, I don't really. I just don't like that that whole approach, you know, where you you split time with other, you know, big names. Like I never, I didn't, I never really was crazy about that Tarantino Rodriguez, you know, Grindhouse thing they did. And I know that this is sort of like, you know, they used to do this stuff all the time, but in modern years, in modern years, I just it, recent years, it's been sort of, you know, I, I'm, I sort of get crestfallen in the face of these things. They just don't seem like. It's, it reminds me a little too much of like you know a YouTube video or something. It just it doesn't feel like cinema, you know. It doesn't feel like fully formed, fully fledged cinema. Um, like it, Monty Python does it. Even then, it's like sort of jarring. But when someone who's like a more serious filmmaker does it, it feels like kind of terrifying. Um, okay, this movie I have never seen. Kunchun, and I don't know if I will. Um, I'm gonna say it's terrible because I don't, I don't like this. Whole, I don't, like I said, I don't know what it's about. I know there is that movie, The Last Emperor. This doesn't look like it is literally the same film, but it looks kind of close in its sort of scope. Um, the sorry, I mean the scale is sort of similar. Um, Scope is probably different. Confusing terms. It's just not my immediate cup of tea. Um, and I don't consider myself that picky. I just really don't want to watch like a children's movie. And this looks like it has a lot of children in it. So that's close enough to being a children's movie in my head. Anyway, and then beyond that, we have a really good movie, which I think is a masterpiece, maybe. The Departed. I haven't seen it in a while. It might be kind of hacky 
compared to like Goodfellas at Cape Fear. I can't remember, but I think it was pretty good. Um, but just because I, I know that it's been a while since this movies have been released, I'll, I'll lower it to great. Because while it is one of my favorite modern Scorsese films, probably my favorite one he's done in the last 20 years, I don't know if it's really like a significant cultural touchstone of a film. I think it sort of lacks um, uh, relatability. Um, it's, it seems like a believable story. But it doesn't seem like a, a story where it's like the characters are are easy to care about. The only person who's really, really easy to care about, and, and is uh, well, actually, it's easy to care about a lot of them. But they're just there's not a lot of exposition, and they all kind of feel sort of samey, samey sometimes because it's all Boston guys doing Boston things. Um, however, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a pretty sympathetic character in this. So is um, Matt Damon, even though his role is a little, tri tri uh, a little less um, comforting. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is interesting. Martin Sheen is interesting. Um, Jack Nicholson is amazing. Uh, I think because of Jack Nicholson, I, I would say it's a masterpiece just because of his his portrayal of that of that rank character the irish mobster character was really out out good but at the same time it kind of was a reflexive portrait of himself so it's sort of a you know a bird it's a it's a window window into the mind of, of madness um a really good really good act in, in the departed i think that's what holds it up i mean obviously the plot is brilliant but the setting is a little like tiresome uh, however, I don't think it matters that much. I think it's all so outweighed by the fact that the acting is brilliant. The characters are... Um, they, they move fast enough that you don't get bored of them. You know, there's just a lot of like, really good pacing for what it's about. Better pacing than Goodfellas, for sure. So I think it has to be sort of up there, neck and neck with Goodfellas, for me. Some people, you know, they might not watch a lot of movies, and they might just think this movie is just some, some lame mobster flick. But in its genre i think it's among the best anyway up next shutter island okay this is another one that apparently is not good according to critics but i actually loved it when i saw it and i didn't listen to critics i didn't know anything about it really and i thought it was really good and i just watched it. so it must be my personality or something i just i didn't read anything i didn't hear about it from anyone um uh, I don't know how I saw it. I must have saw it in theaters. I don't remember. I, but I just I jumped into it and I loved it. Um, I would say it's. A, I think it's kind of yeah, maybe not great. Maybe I think it's great. I think it's like it's like a B minus or whatever it is, an A minus. Um, if you if you have seen a lot of horror movies. It probably sucks. At the time that I saw it, I hadn't seen a lot of horror movies. I was too young to have seen like every single to, like thriller, horror, suspense, you know, ghost film or whatever. I don't know. I was too young. So I um I uh, let me turn the lights off real quick. 
uh, in my room. Um, I was really young, so I, um, what were we saying? Okay, yeah, the, um, what were we talking about? Shutter Island, yeah. Um, but going into it as a kid, I just thought it was a really good story. I didn't understand who, really what Scorsese was about, except for the fact that he made certain films. Like, I think I knew he made The, the Departed. Fellas at the time, I don't really remember. Maybe Taxi Driver. I think I knew the the Departed and Taxi Driver. So Shutter Island to me was like, oh, this is going to be a good movie no matter what, and it kind of it ended up being that. But apparently critics didn't like it, or fans didn't like it, audiences didn't like it. Um, I don't know. I don't know much about the whole context for its release, but I do think it was a, a very good film. Um, I. Probably only, it probably, um, I think it's for personal reasons I liked it, though. I don't think it, I, you know, there's the Ridley Scott film, you know, Exodus, Gods and Kings, and it was similar. It was like, I really liked it, but, like, the fans hated it, critics hated it. I mean, just like everyone, audiences didn't, didn't, didn't react to it, didn't receive it well, they hated it. But it was like I just saw on I saw it as a, you know cold opening. I just ran in and saw it, and it was good. And um, okay, so up next, I don't know what to say about Shutter Island. I think Shutter Island. It's kind of a B movie, but it's just a really good B movie. Even though the budget was really high, it just it relied maybe too much on CG. Um, it was an unusual story at the end of it. it there's, there's, there, I could spoil it, but I won't. Um, I felt like maybe some people thought it was dumb. I thought it was kind of intriguing. The whole the whole setup, the, the design of the story. Um, I'll have to rewatch it and see if it was actually as intelligent as I am sort of presupposing. Uh, at the time, though, I didn't really care if it was intelligent or not. I just thought it was a good movie. So Shutter Island, I think, is great. Um, some people will disagree with that because they think it's too basic. Heck, I mean, there's a lot of movies that are great that are basic, like King Kong, right? So, um, especially And even the remake of King Kong, which is kind of what I was trying to talk about anyway. The remake of King Kong was really quite good. Peter Jackson knows this stuff, and Jack Black um, kind of held the film, let's be real, but still, King Kong, really good, and so is Shutter Island. Okay, up next, who's that knocking at my door? I don't know this film at all. I'm going to say it's watchable. Actually, it looks like it's good, just because it's Scorsese, right? All that early Scorsese stuff is good. I just, it's New York, New York. This is one that I didn't really like too much. It was just sort of like, it was just sort of um, salacious and, and lewd. And um, 
I mean, it was kind of realistic, I guess. It's about people partying and being wild. There's nothing too bad about that. I'd say it's good. Raging Bull. I saw this as watchable. I didn't really... I, saw, I didn't really love the Jake Lamato character arc. I didn't really understand his behavior, um, which is probably my fault. Um, I think it's a cool movie in the sense it's like Rocky, but it's like it's like a, a more it's like a, it's like a, a more it's a more religious and true to life version of Rocky. It's not trying to be corny and and just you know put asses in the seat. So Raging Bull has sort of like merit to it. I just don't really understand the the, the character. I don't understand why it was important to be focused. I, I mean, I guess they wanted to focus on a guy who lost it all, trying to be the, the heavyweight champion or whatever, but I never understood why that was considered sympathetic. I mean, but I guess, you know, it's like that movie, The Boxer, Christian Bale, or The Wrestler, with Mickey Rourke. It's like, you just sort of have to sympathize for these brute buffoons anyway. You know, you just sort of have to do it. No matter what they what you think of them you know once you know their story you sort of have to shed a tear still i don't know i just it's a, it's just another film that's sort of like you hear about it all the time and it is a culture and but i just didn't understand why it was a cultural milestone but now that i'm thinking about it more i can i can see how you know a film about a failing boxer could be kind of relevant to a lot of people and meaningful to kind of everyone in some dim way so it's not like it could be a lot worse it's definitely definitely a focused film it definitely focuses in very well on one person which in a lot of these films you know they they do it more or less but this film is probably does it the most and maybe that's for the kind of audience that wants a film that focuses in on like the heroism of the character maybe that's why raging bull is considered a classic because it focuses in so much on his own, you know, like even more than like that movie, uh, The Deer Hunter, which is very much in like egoistic. Raging Bull is, is extreme, is even more egoistic than that in some ways. Um, it's palpably so. So if you're just into like, you know, one man's epic journey, then maybe Raging Bull is a kind of a beautiful movie. But to me at the time, I just felt like, I was young. I felt like Raging Bull was just sort of like, you know, a showpiece for buffoons. You know, like like Rambo. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, well, Rambo maybe, but Rocky for sure. Definitely Rocky. Um. Okay, this movie I never could get into it. It seemed it was very, you know, unlike all the other Scorsese ones, this one had really slow pacing, like really slow for what for the little like evinces of. Of, of context and it's because to be fair these characters are like held hostage and they're not only not only are they held hostage they're monks so they don't really reveal a lot with their facial expressions anyway but it, it did it felt a little experimental with the whole like slow paced and it didn't feel like it, it was really like a movie that like a mature director like scorsese would make it felt like it was something that like an amateur director would do as an experiment but then the fucking it was just it was uh it was green lighted by the studios and so it was fucking you know moneyed up what do they call it when it's just it was backed 
so it was it was so backed by the studio. I don't know what the word is when they have like limitless funds, but he, he it's, it's like a movie that seemed like it had like limitless amounts of money poured in, and then all you get is like you know characters like you know like frowning and like enduring like various forms of physical hardship, and you're like hmm, this is really like the the movie for us, you know. Then again, you know Keanu Reeves. I kind of like Keanu Reeves. Or is it not Keanu Reeves? I can't remember. I thought it was. I, this movie was like so beyond me. I would say it's watchable, but I don't think it's. Um, if I, uh, let me see what Kunshun's about because I don't want to call Kunshun terrible. Yeah, hey, I'm doing the podcast still. You just give me some time. Okay. So Kunshun, yeah. Um... Let me just get some background for Kunshun, because if, if, if there's a chance I'll rank it higher if it's just like got like a lot more going for it. Oh, it's Kun Kloon. Kun Dun. Oh, it's about the Dalai Lama. Oh, and he had to escape. Okay, that sounds watchable. I thought it was about, like, the last emperor of China, but it's kind of close. Okay, that's way more interesting to 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 my mind. I'm, I'm like, it's a little less basic than the emperor of China or whatever. So. These are all watchable. Um, fuck, people are going to disagree with this so much. Uh, that's what you want, though. A taxi driver. Okay, I think Taxi Driver is a masterpiece. What do I need? I say more. I mean, really, it's everything you'd want in a film about one guy doing anything. You know, he 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 tries to save the day. He sort of can't. He gets in arguments. He he wins fights, loses fights. He sort of can't do anything, but in his head, he can do everything. And so, because he's got this unbridled ambition, he he ends up, you know going for the jugular and, and seizing it and ripping it out, rending out the whole fucking, you know, esophagus and spinal column and from the torso and just, you know, balls to the wall. And it's a film that really kind of inspires you to be deranged, um, which isn't good, but not a lot of films have, have the balls to inspire derangement. So, uh, if you're, you know, some people probably just don't like it because it's about some like a white guy. They probably think he's like, you know, like a like a neo Nazi. But the film isn't about neo Nazis. It's about um about a guy who's like, you know, can't get laid. Kind of, <laughs> it's about a guy who like, you know, <laughs> can't get respect. You know, who wants to who wants to be a hero in a world where heroes don't really exist. But he's a Vietnam vet, so in his head, you know, you can just kind of. You can kind of just take what you want. And while he, the whole time he's sort of perceived as like a powerless character, in the end, you kind of realize, you know, maybe he wasn't as powerless as we all supposed he was. So that's the beauty of the film is it's, it's about a guy that seems like a loser, but he ends up being kind of better than what we all presupposed he was. And there, there's not a lot of films that do that well, but. I love Taxi Driver because it did it did it so damn well, um, and it, it, it it's a movie that just you 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 never see 
there's not really a movie that's been at the level of Taxi Driver that could embody the the punk rock ethic. Um, not really the and, and somewhat the aesthetic, but mostly the ethic. Who could embody the punk rock ethic? And I mean, he had the mohawk and stuff, right? So I guess it's, it's the, this is a punk rock film. Um, uh, tour, tour de force, and there really isn't a film that was able to to sort of provide that um, viciousness and righteousness in the same sort of combination ever since. Even Mad Max can't do that, and Mad Max is the is 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 has done nothing but try to do that. So I think Taxi Driver is his best movie. It's the only movie. It's if it, 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 I don't know, like you know, I mean, like I don't think he could make any of these other movies without the perspective that he got from making Taxi Driver. And you could say that about anything, but I definitely want to say it about Taxi Driver. I wouldn't want to say it about everything else. I wouldn't want to admit it. But Taxi Driver, it's so easy to acknowledge that he made this all his other works with some sort of nod back to late seventies Taxi Driver. Um. Anyway. It's not my favorite film in the world, but it is it's one of my favorite films. And it's my favorite Scorsese film. And I think it is just absolutely his best. Um The Age of Innocence. I never saw this one. I think it's watchable. I think they're all watchable. Um Aviator. Okay, this is an, I did like this one. Aviator. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if there's this terrible category. I didn't make this list, so someone put terrible there. But really, when you're dealing with Scorsese, nothing is terrible. So it's sort of a it's sort of a fake category. Um, and uh, anyway, Aviator. I think Aviator's great. I I don't like the character that much, but the movie is so good. It's got Robert Richardson doing cinematography, and he's always pretty good. Like he's always one of the best. I always enjoy his 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 vision his his photographs you know um so it's great cinema but the AV, the character was a little like cringy for me to like want to watch this movie a lot I think uh, Shutter Island and in uh, the Departed and in Gangs of New York DiCaprio is a lot more um, sympathetic an aviator he's He's sort of, he's sort of like this Steve Jobs type guy where you respect him, but you don't really want to be around him. And um, I think that was kind of the one flaw the movie had. Other than that, the movie is really kind of cool. It's every, it's about AV, it's about his Howard Hughes's, you know, crass ambition and how his ambition sort of falls into oblivion. And I have to rewatch it because I know it's a good movie. It's one of my favorite directors made it. Um, be great great production on all levels um maybe the music was could have been a lot better you know it's like one of those things where it's like everything but the music but still i think aviators a great film um for for the era it was in at least i mean you can compare all these films to films that were fucking made in the 40s and be like well you know i always liked asphalt jungle why couldn't it be like asphalt jungle yeah well maybe asphalt jungle was better you know 80 years ago true True points. Anyway, um, The Irishman. Oh, okay. I well, I like. I don't know if I saw this in theaters. I think I saw it on like Netflix, or I did see it in theaters. I don't remember. Um, I liked it. I kind of loved it. 
uh, is it a masterpiece? Probably not. The CGI ruined sort of what could qualify as a masterpiece. Maybe some people would say it doesn't matter. I think it, for the purpose of this podcast, I think it matters enough that it is shy of being a masterpiece. It has to be considered great. Um, I really liked Al Pacino in the film, and Robert De Niro wasn't bad either. Um, and they had a great cameos like Harvey Keitel. He's a classic Scorsese lineup actor. Um, he's always in the ensemble, right? Um, if that means anything, was Joe Pesci. I don't even think Joe Pesci was in this film, which kind of, which was kind of interesting because it was a a mobster flick without Joe Pesci by Scorsese, and so it had to kind of ride on different laurels. And those laurels, I mean, I guess you have Al Pacino. Al Pacino is sort of like. You know, he's he's like Joe Pesci multiplied by himself. Like Al, Al Pacino is God compared to Joe Pesci. Not to knock Joe Pesci, but that's just how it is. So I would say The Irishman, because Al Pacino was probably a great film, Robert De Niro and everyone else held it up. Sebastian Maniscalco was good. You know, it was all, everything was good. Um, so I'd say it was a, it was a great film. I, I It was long, but you know, you can't complain about length. I mean, length is something that's like, Look, it's a it, the reason length is a problem is because it costs money to make something longer. It's not a problem because it makes the film worse. So if you're saying that it's bad because it's long, well, that's just not a real argument. Because length, you can always just skip stuff. You can, length is like what is War and Peace a bad book because it's really long? No, I mean that's your it's your problem that you can't read a War and Peace. It's not, you know. Or, or, you know, whatever, or, or um, Les Miserables, or Brothers Karamazov. Like, you can't read these epic books. That's your problem. The Irishman's a little like that. It's a long film, and it's a great film. And I, there's nothing else I want to say on the matter. And I, I learned a lot. I didn't know anything about Jimmy Hoffa, really, until I watched the film. I'm like, oh, yeah, that boring guy you read about on, on occasionally in history textbooks or about JFK articles or whatever, you know, that really boring sounding guy, he was actually an extremely important individual in our recent history. And this film was, it was a uh, prescient to actually acknowledge his importance, especially because the unions are such a big deal. The unions have just been fucking raked over the coals these, you know, these last four decades or whatever it is. I blame Reaganomics. I really do. Okay, King of Comedy. This is, um... This is a funny... It's a little too f trying to be ha-ha funny, and it's a little got the Borscht Belt rhythm to it a little too much. It's a film about a comedian who's, like, deranged and thinks he's great, and then everyone he meets thinks he's a joke, and they just sort of, like, play it off like he's great because they don't want to embarrass him. I think there's a touch of, like, of self-awareness on Scorsese's part where he is looking back at the days when he was an ambitious young director who had to like promote himself left and right and people always pretend to be interested but they really don't care and or they don't really have the wherewithal to care and and so he, ha he, he learned from that and whoever else wrote the film they learned from experiences like that they're like oh yeah people pretend to care but they're just pretending and they, you'll kind of fill your way to the top if you just, you know, shamelessly promote yourself over and over again. 
so the King of Comedy is kind of one of the more human films Scorsese has made. Um, is it up there with Taxi Driver? I don't know, but it does kind of tackle the same sort of loser um, self righteousness. So in that sense, I think it's a masterpiece. Um, it's it's the only one that really falls in line with Taxi Driver. Maybe Raging Bull does, in a way. But Raging Bull is more about you know watching a great man stumble and fall. Taxi Driver and King of Comedy are more about a man who is has no identity, is no one, but he ends up just sort of by force of will becoming a little bit of something, a little bit of something. Anyway. Last Temptation of Christ. You know, I'm appreciating Scorsese so much watching these films. It's so beautiful. All these films are so fucking beautiful. And I'm just like, ugh. I'm like reeling over it. And I didn't even, I, I my appreci appreciation for this director is like multiplying. I'm excited to see his uh, film about Oklahoma. I forget the name. Flowers of the Wind or whatever. I don't know the name. But I have a good friend out in Oklahoma who is part Cherokee Indian. And I'm excited to talk to him about it because that film is probably more a lot more meaningful to him than it would be for me. So and he's also part Italian. He's his 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 grandfather was a mafia dude. So yeah. I mean he's gonna have a lot of perspective on the Native Americans in Oklahoma film this course says he just released or just made and he's releasing in you know whatever it is september or whatever october i think it's october i don't know fuck i should probably know that anyway this movie is um, a beautiful film but it's a little it's a little like new wave you know it doesn't really have like the best perspective on christianity possible it has kind of like an, an 80s perspective on christianity <laughs> But that's you know that's a movie that kind of is fun to see, um, and it's still very emotional. So I, I would say it's a it's a great film. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but it's it's got a lot of cool. It's got David Bowie as Pontius Pilate, and obviously Willem Dafoe is Jesus of Nazareth, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, but it's not it's not the most wholesome um, uh you know, you know, Christian work, whoever commentary or whatever. Yeah, what do you call it? The uh, adaptation of the the gospel. It's not the most wholesome adaptation of the gospel. Anyway, Wolf of Wall Street. People love to hate on this movie, you know, but they only love to hate on it because it's so damn popular. I think this movie is great. I think every scene in it is pretty good. There's nothing about it. it it's a it's a film that isn't really about one person so much. Leonardo DiCaprio, he's been in so many of these movies. Gosh, I'm reeling over. He's been in like 10. It's crazy, 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 crazy. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I think this is a great film. I think it's a film that encapsulates an unsavory part of our culture, a subculture that is often maligned and yet at the same time highly productive and highly essential and um what can you say about wall street tycoons or wall street you know investment you know yahoos or whatever you want to call them what can you say about them except for the fact that they are and they will they have been and they will be and the wolf of wall street really 
um, hammers in sort of our sensitivity to their the, the controversy that they represent. But you think about it, a lot of Wall Street people are super fucking boring. This film wasn't really about Wall Street. It was about, you know, the worst elements of Wall Street and how they sort of pervaded that subculture. Um, I'll be frank with you. My parents were bankers at one point or another. Not anymore. They, they changed careers, but they were New York City bankers in the 80s, 90s, something like that, 90s. So they moved around a lot. They moved to L.A., San Francisco. They moved around financial markets. But the point, the point being, they don't act like the characters in this movie. So for me, I kind of know how bank, bank bankers, how boring bankers can be. And so this film is kind of nice to me because I don't, I'm not afraid of bankers. You know, I can see how some people might be afraid of bankers. You know, the one percent, the Illuminati, whatever they might be afraid of it. So that anything that sort of promotes that lifestyle is like the death knell of their interest in Scorsese. But for me, I know I know what that's those people are actually like in many cases, and I'm not like I'm not afraid of them because they're pretty fucking benign and boring, and maybe even innocent, really, um, innocent of all all sorts of stuff. Um, so for me, yeah, by association, are bankers evil? Maybe, but in terms of what they actively do, I don't think they're doing anything especially heinous. So Wolf of Wall Street gets a masterpiece rating. And that's the end of the podcast, an hour and 15. It's probably my favorite amount of time to do any work because this is a work of labor of love. Um, let's. I've been waiting years to do a, a video like this, and I'm surprised I didn't even do it sooner. But I have no regrets because this is, this is, this is the time to do it. After what happened last night with this girl, my apartment, kind of, kind of, kind of nutty. You know, after that, I think this is a necessary video to just shoot out of the air, uh, into the air. So we have it's masterpiece. We have one, two, three, four, five, six. That's a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six in great. One, two, three, four, five, six in good. And then in the low, in watchable, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So if you were just going by my fast and loose assessment here. Scorsese can kind of make a film in every above average category. He can make, and he can make many of them. And then even then he'll kind of make most, you know, the largest category, the lion's share, I guess you could say, will be in like, not in like, in like sort of the average belt. But he's made so many movies that it doesn't really matter if he's made a bunch of average films or slightly above average films. He's made so many movies that he, you end up seeing all these great films, and they're just. And, and it, my point being, he will teach you that it's not. You, you can make mistakes. You can you can try things they don't work great, and you'll you'll still be the top dog. You'll still make the best films of all time, in in, in a few cases, and you'll 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 still do that as long as you just keep working. And keep keep your keep your chin up, and your feet moving forward one step at a time. So, one of the gods of cinema, Scorsese, especially in the last forty years, or was it fifty years? 
yeah, okay, 50 years. Last 50 years, one of the gods of cinema. And to be fair, cinema is not that old of a discipline. It's only like, you know, 120 years old, 130 years old, something like, some number like that. It's it's a, almost as young as photography. I mean, it's younger than photography. Photography has only been around since like the 1840s at most. Really, photography has been around since like the 1850s, 60s. But at most, it's like not even 200 years old. So 1840s, I guess. I think that's when the first photograph was ever made by a Frenchman. It's 1847, or he invented the first photograph. And so Scorsese has been working in a significant chunk of that entire span. So we make it, we can, we can downplay his influence because oh, he's a modern director, a new Hollywood director. But really, he's been operating for a long, long time in the in in terms of the in terms of you know a percentage of how much work he could possibly do within the total number of years for cinema on planet Earth. Okay, before I veer off into more um, eccentric self-taught, I'm going to stop the podcast and hope that you learn something about Scorsese, about filmmaking, about film history, about your knowledge of the arts from this one hour and 17 minute and 15 second podcast episode remembering truth i'm patrick richardson and i hope you enjoyed the show or enjoyed it you know what i mean i mispronounced it for by accident out of nervous out of nervousness i hope you enjoyed the show toddy da goodbye for now cheers